Hello and welcome to D1 Softball Podcast. I am your host, Tara Henry. As always, we are excited to bring you the best of the best in college softball. After the show, head on over to D1Softball.com for all the latest stories, coaching scoop, international softball news, fall schedules, and more. If you subscribe today, you can use Podcast 20, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T 20 for 20% off an annual subscription. We are excited for today's new episode that features Memphis head coach, Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow. Now let's get started. I'm joined by my co-host of the week, Rhiannon Potkey. Re, how are you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Getting uh, a lot of excitement going because I'm seeing like it's almost 50 days till we're going to have softball. I saw a countdown and with the weather the way it is, I'm looking forward to that spring season starting because uh, it's getting chilly. I- I'm not skipping over Christmas, but definitely uh, getting the juices flowing, seeing some of these teams say we're only 57 days away from playing. I'm very excited. Yes, we are getting close to opening weekend, which is just right around the corner in February. And we are also rolling out fall reports to get you ready for the season. We've got them up on the site. Uh, this week, we started off with South Carolina. Re, I'll throw that to you in terms of what's happening with the Gamecocks over there in South Carolina. Yeah, definitely uh, love talking to Bab. She's always a great, you know, great to talk to. They've really been hitting the transfer portal pretty hard. He's in to try to fill in some voids. She's kind of one of those coaches, she's, you know, it is what it is. Like she doesn't necessarily, she loves the idea of kids coming and staying for four years, but she understands that's the game that needs to be played now to, you know, be competitive. And there's some holes that they could help. So they've dipped into the portal and got, a you know, a whole bunch of kids coming in. They've got a huge class between freshmen and transfers. Um, they've missed the tournament two straight years, which is not sufficient there. They don't, you know, they're only SEC team to miss the last two years. And she knows that. And so they're very hungry to get back. And she's really, she really loves the camaraderie and kind of the, uh, just the fire they're bringing every day. So interested to see, because that's a lot of new faces to be integrating, but it sounds like the fall has gone pretty good and that the chemistry and cohesion is good. Um, but definitely, uh, definitely a lot of new faces going to be in. If, you, if you're a South Carolina fan, make sure you uh, check the roster, write down names, because there's going to be a lot of people that you hadn't seen last year that are joined the squad. So that's South Carolina up on the site. And last week we had Boise State, Brady Vernon with the full report on Boise State. They welcome 11 newcomers to the roster. Uh, they graduated Haley Hannah Bailey, uh, but they've added a, a few arms uh, and graduate transfer Lindsay uh, Wall Jasper's younger sister, uh, Lindsay Wall Jasper, Allie Wall Jasper's younger sister. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, wait, Allie's coming back. <laughs> they've got a Wall Jasper. That's all you need to know. There's a Wall Jasper. Not many of those around the country, so you know it's probably a pitcher if you see one. <laughs> yeah, she had 329 innings just a season ago with a 3.15 ERA. At Charlotte, uh, Justin Schultz there, uh, leading Boise State. Head on over to the site, d1solvable.com, and get all caught up. Brady Vernon with the incredible uh, report. Goes through the offense, defense, pitching staff, and the newcomers, like I said. Those 11 newcomers uh, for the Broncos. So that's Boise State. Then we'll we'll head on over to Baylor. You know, uh, Graham Hayes with the report on the Baylor Bears. I was able to watch them just last year in Hawaii and, you know, gosh, Rhee, you and I, could, we've talked about the Big 12 and the competition in the Big 12. Just Baylor is not quite where they, they have been in the past, but uh, Glenn Moore looking at, at his young squad last year and uh, seeing what they can do heading into next season. Thoughts on Baylor, Rhee? Yeah, definitely uh, have taken a dip, you know, comparatively speaking to seasons past. And I know that's kind of similar. We were talking about very, uh, I can tell he's very not happy about that, but it sounded like he was happy with kind of the run they made at the end there. They weren't in the NCAA tournament, but they were in the postseason. As we know, there's another tournament that takes place during the postseason and um, felt like they really gained some momentum through that run and has some good pieces coming back. Uh, and, I, you know, some of the numbers, I, I would encourage everyone to read it with Graham's report because if you take out, and I know that's a big, like, take out Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas, you know, that's just, you know, well, that's basically half your league, so you can't take them out. But the numbers are really good when you took out those opponents. And to be honest, in two years, two of those opponents will be out of league. So the conference, as we know, with Texas and 
in Oklahoma, possibly leaving earlier than they were supposed to, judging by talks recently. Um, so it just sounds like he's really positive about what he's got coming back, and he feels like that they gained some valuable experience last year, especially in the circle. And some really good pieces. And uh, if we know anything about Glenn Moore, you, you know, he's they're just going to battle and battle and battle. But I know it's not the standard that they're expecting. So I know they're, they're definitely still working to turn it around there. Yeah, Leah Benford back in the circle for the Bears. So keep an eye on Baylor heading into 2023. Uh, and then, Ree, I really enjoyed your report on Coach Joe Evans here on the West Coast now with UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> What did Coach Evans had to say about her new life over here on the West Coast? She is loving it. That's what I heard. I mean, she's just like, and I said, if you can afford it, man, Santa Bob, believe me, I'm a UCSB grad to be, I'm, let's full transparency here. Never thought we would get a coach like Joe Evans at a school like us up in a little Santa Barbara there. But if you can afford to live there, Evan, so she's enjoying it because she can and She's just really excited. I mean, she like, you know, if you read the story, she didn't have to take a job, obviously. And she wasn't looking to right away. But the funny thing is she pursued this. And it was I kind of in the story almost like punked. I'm sure the AD's like, OK, wait, who sent me this this uh, this resume? <laughs> like, there's no way. So she made sure people knew if you see a resume with mine on it, it's me. I really want the job because she had taken her team there a few times when she was at A&M. Um, and really love the area as anyone that's been to Santa Barbara can attest. It, it's hard not to, you kind of have a Zen life up there once you get there. Um, so she's loving it really. She, it's, I think it's rekindled some of her, you know, when you play in the SEC, it can be a grind and kind of wear you down a little bit and there's a lot of pressure. And I think she's just kind of got back to the roots of the game and she's enjoying it and just loving uh, kind of being back, back at like more of a grassroots type program. If you, you know, comparatively speaking, Great stuff. And she talks about, you know, how disappointment of A&M and she was really bummed about how that was handled. So encourage everyone to read it. It's just up on the site today. But yeah, really, really thrilling conversation with her and really happy that she's found a place that she seems she's good for she's good for college softball. We need her in the game. And if she doesn't want to retire yet um, and it's a great place for her. She's got parents in Utah that are in their 80s and they can come visit sunny to sunny Santa Barbara, which is not bad. Right. You know, it, it, it's not a bad place to be in. As you well know, Re, uh, going there, Isla Vista is one of the greatest places, uh, you know, to go and be and live. And so, yeah, head, head on over to the site. Re did a great job with that article, uh, d1sample.com, and check out Joe Evans uh, in her new digs here in Santa Barbara on the West Coast. I love it, bringing them over to the West Coast, these uh, legendary head coaches. So that's Joe Evans. And last week, attended the NFCA convention in San Antonio. What an incredible experience. Just coaches from all across the country, not only Division One, Division Two, uh, Division Three, NAIA club coaches, international coaches, just an incredible uh, event. And a uh, hot topic was, is fall recruiting. So, really, D1 coaches talking in the caucus about fall recruiting schedules and if there is a possibility to get rid of fall recruiting and start to focus more on current teams and the staff and, and, and mental well-being. And so that was probably the hottest topic there uh, at the convention. So we'll update it on that and, and obviously adding that fourth uh, paid assistant uh, coaching position or possibly fifth too. I was hearing some, some murmurs of, five which can you believe that happens so um always great to see everybody and cannot wait for next year it'll be in louisville uh, next year uh for the 40th anniversary but um again uh congratulations to lonnie alameda who was named for the 2023 uh, nfc uh, hall of fame class uh, so we'll see her get inducted uh, next year. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, kind of a no-brainer choice there. So uh, we had a story up, too. There's, you know, obviously covers all divisions. So some really great coaches to a different level. So I'd encourage you. I mean, there's, like you said, every coach is there. So some really some really good uh, some really good inductees for next year. But Lonnie's definitely the headliner. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it sounded like I me. Mean, it sounds like that's just – I mean, I, I've – Never been to one personally yet, but just the amount of stuff you get and info and, and sessions and everything, it's really amazing the job they do putting that on and kind of all the different all the different sessions and opportunities that coaches get there and just being able to talk about, like you said, some of the big topics in the in the sport and 
especially with all these changes in realignment and all these media deals and people going back and forth, it's kind of a good place for everyone to kind of be sport specific on how these changes impact their own sport in one, one place like that. All right. Well, that's, that's it for our news of the week. Let's head on into our interview. Incredible chatting with the new Memphis head coach previously at Alabama for, for 12 years, actually played against uh, Stephanie uh, Van Brakel while she was at Alabama. Fun chatting with her. Here she is, Memphis head coach, Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow. Tara Henry here back on the D1 Softball Podcast, joined by Memphis head coach this week, Stephanie Van Brakel Prothrow. Steph, thanks so much for joining me on the D1 Softball Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we'll go a little bit through uh, Steph's resume. All-American at Alabama back in the day. I actually got to play against her. Threw uh, one of the heaviest balls I think uh, I've ever faced. Uh, we'll get into that. But three Women's College World Series appearances, uh, SEC Player of the Year, played pro with the force, uh, was a head coach at Sanford and Birmingham Southern before she head over, headed on over to Alabama, her alma mater, 12 seasons with the Crimson Tide, 2012 national champions uh, with Bama. And now, recently named head coach of Memphis. Uh, let's kind of go through that. Let's talk about your journey. Um, what's it been like for you settling in at Memphis? Uh, and you've been there now through the fall. So what's what's it been like for you? Yeah, it's been it's been good. It's uh, been kind of like a whirlwind. I've kind of been in about 100 places at once is what I feel like. Every day I got, I, there's something new that comes up that needs my attention. Um, which distracts me from something else I was in the middle of doing. So just trying to get my hands around uh, managing and managing the new staff and then getting to know the team and then figuring out how Memphis works, like how you do paperwork and how you file for this. So um, it's definitely been a lot of learning uh, this fall, but it's been it's been really good. And we've had we've had a good time and I've really enjoyed getting to know my staff better and the team. And I think we have grown throughout the fall, which is the one big thing I wanted us to do, like growth mindset, we're getting better, we're figuring it out together, um, kind of kind of talks. <clears throat> and, you know, I mentioned you've played at the Women's College World Series, you've been in various regional, super regionals, uh, won a national championship. How does that mentality or, you know, that ability to be at, at the highest part of softball, of our sport. Uh, what are you taking into that now as the head coach at Memphis, um, you know, coming from a Power 5 school in, in Alabama uh, heading into Memphis? Yeah, um, I think that the first, and, you know, we talk about the process a lot. That's the first thing I've been talking about with the team is, you know, success and results are, you know, your opinion. You know, like success for us might not be like going undefeated. Success for us might be, you know, building a foundation, building a culture, you know, sticking with the process, figuring out, learning each other, figuring out how we can be better, figuring out, figuring out what it means to work hard, right? Because none of the current team, you know, they think they were working and they think they were working hard, but it's not even, we're not scratching the surface. So, you know, being around athletes like Montana and Sydney Little John and Alexis and all those great athletes at Alabama and then playing, um, you know that it takes a different type of work and a different mindset and you really have to buy into a process and it's about growth and how am I going to get better today um, kind of mentality and not wrapped up in, oh, I didn't have this great at bat or I didn't have this great round of BP and it just salts with you the rest of the round. Like we don't have time for that. Like it's next pitch. You know, our sport is very, you know, three seconds and get over it kind of thing. So we've been talking a lot about that and I've been trying to, you know, emulate a lot of that as well as competing. Uh, I think competing in our sport, like at that pitch in the moment is important also. So, um, you know, competing every pitch, competing every at bat, competing for that like intense point, whatever it is, three seconds that we're in it and then you get a break and then compete again and then you get a break. So we, I've talked a lot about that this fall and <clears throat> the process. So, and, and I've also added in a little bit of discipline. I think that's one thing I learned a lot at being at Alabama and around like Nick and all the other head coaches, not just from Murph was the, the discipline of it. Like we all feel 
and don't feel like doing things, but are you going to be have discipline enough to still go and work when you don't feel like it? Like it's just 30 minutes to go hit a couple extra rounds of BP or go take a couple extra ground balls or work on that one pitch that you've been struggling with. Um, that just comes down to discipline and then following through, right? Because we all say things, but we don't always follow through. So um, just been trying to implement some of those things that I just I've learned throughout my time at Alabama playing and coaching there. Now, you mentioned a few um, names. So you've got Montana Fouts, Sydney Littlejohn Watkins, uh, Alexis Osorio, Jackie Trena. Can you kind of dive into each one of those arms and talk a little bit about that process? How they were, how was it? How are they similar? How are they different? Uh, what did you notice in coaching those incredible athletes? Yeah, um, they all are very different personalities. <laughs> I think Jack and Lex are the most similar as being like stoic and very, their face never changed. Um, but they were ultra competitive and wanted, you know, I want the ball. I want to make this happen um, type of athletes. But you would never see that in their post. And they never like, they never got like real fired up or, you know, never got real down either, which was a great quality. Um, you know, and then, you know, Sydney was my fun, I guess, one. Like she, you know, she was that kid that came to the bullpen that needed, like, we needed to talk about life for a couple minutes. And then we would, you know, pitch a little bit. And then she would ask me a hundred questions. And then, you know, like it was, I had to put her on like a time limit because the bullpen would take forever if I didn't. Um, so she brought a little flair to the to the bullpen and she taught me a lot about like myself and being patient and like figuring out like I gotta I gotta be different for each pitcher that comes through this bullpen. Right. So, you know, her and, and um, you know, LJ and, and Lex and then, you know, Montana was and has been the hardest working pitcher that I've worked with ever. Um, I'd have to put, you know, like say, do not go pitch today. You know what I mean? Like when like that's the pro like she was compelled, like super obsessed, compelled, whatever you want to call it, to like just do do too much, especially our first year. And I had to like, we can't do that much. Like the the intensity of what we're doing here is going to be a lot more than what you just came from. And I don't want you to get hurt. And we have to think about your longevity. So kind of having to figure out what a plan that would work best for her um, <clears throat> in her years. So we spent a lot of time the first two years, like figuring out what that looked like, like how could we still do what she wanted to do, but still not overdo it to where we were getting the best of, be uh, best of both worlds. Um, but she is a really fierce competitor. Um, you know, you never have to question if she wants the ball. Like she'll she'll pitch until her, she fall, her arm falls off. She don't care. Um, which you love. I love that. You know, like give. I want that. Like I want you to have the ball. I want you to have want the big moment, and I want you when it sucks and you are failing to want it that much more. Um, and, you know, each one of them were like that because they each had their struggles. Um, they each had times where we weren't the best or they didn't, they didn't feel like they were at their best. And the process of figuring out how we could be better and come out and peak at the right time was always the, you know, magic, right? And it was the best part of coaching them. It's like, we're going to get in here and figure it out together. Like, that's just how I am. Like, let's get in there and I'm going to figure this out for you because I can't sleep at night until we figure this out. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, you know, that was the fun process of it all and probably not so fun for those that are in, you know, my personal life that I was, you know, like, we got to figure this out and like, how am I going to get this out of her? And, um, but their work ethic and their mindset is what sets them apart from, you know, other pitchers. And I, you know, I just was blessed to be around that and see that firsthand and be a part of that um, with them. So you're with Bama for, for 12 years and obviously decide to get back into head coaching gig. What was that conversation like with Murph when you told him that uh, you had taken or even said you're going on an interview to, to take a look at Memphis? Yeah. Uh, well, I told him that they called and I was like, you know, I'll just, explore it because you should always my, my motto is that like I should always explore it because you just never know and it's good practice for me so when like I eventually figure out like hey I do want to be a good coach like I've been through the process I know what kind of questions they're asking and I know how to best prepare myself and it's it's really good practice for me so Murph's always been great about giving me that opportunity to like kind of explore and whether I stay or go it didn't matter like it was a good opportunity for me 
Um, so when I came back, you know, I, I did go to his house and probably sat there for like an hour or so because I was really in a tough spot. Like I didn't, it felt really good at Memphis. I really liked everybody I met. Um, I felt like it was a really good opportunity for me. Um, but like, obviously I played at Alabama and I've been here forever. So like it was, you know, like it just was a bad, it just was tough for me. And I was like going through everything. I went through all the details logically. I asked them at Memphis a million questions. Um, you know, how are we going to do this? What are you going to do about this? How do you deal with this? Like, am I going to be supported here? Like every question I could think about asking them, I asked. Um, so like Lauren, my boss, she was like, that was the one thing that like we really loved about you is that you really, you really were thinking about this and like thoughtful to ask those questions. Um, but I sat with Murph for like an hour and just kind of talked through all that. We talked about the AD, we talked about Lauren, we talked about the facilities, we talked about the conference, we talked about scheduling. You know, we talked about assistant coaches because I was really worried about that. Like it would be in late. I was really worried about finding really good people and coaches this late in the game. Um, you know, recruiting, uh, the schedule, all that. So we went through uh, everything and I didn't leave there saying like, yeah, I'm going to take it. I just kind of left like, well, I, I, you know, I still need to think about this for a couple of days. So I did, I did think about it for a full week before um, I decided. And uh, I ended up meeting up with Murph. The freshmen were moving into Alabama. And I was um, with Quinn and Julian. We were looking at, like Tyrone had a signing at the Bryant uh, Museum. That's my brother-in-law. And so we were going to see him. And then I called Murph and I said, hey, you know, Quinn, Julian, and I want to meet up with you to talk about the decision. And so like, I'll probably start crying talking about it right now, but um, he gets out the car and I just start crying. I'm like, I think I'm going to take this job. Like, I just don't want to let anybody down. Like all that, you know, I'm like, I just feel like, and it's funny. He goes, you would be dumb not to take this job and this opportunity. And he was like, I didn't want to tell you that because I didn't want to sway you one way or the other. And I was like, but that's what I need to hear because I feel like I'm letting you down. If I, you know, like you're, I'm putting you in a spot and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaving Alabama and this is, you know, I love this place and all that, all those emotions that come with you playing and coaching at a place for so long. But I'm like, I know this is like a real good opportunity. I feel like I'd be stupid not to take it, you know? And he was like, I agree. So, you know, I probably, I didn't even get all those words out because I cried all through it. <laughs> and then it was just like a relief afterwards you know, like, of I knew this and I prayed about it for, a, you know, the whole week too. like really praying, like, am I going to, this, this needs to be, show me this is the right job. Like, this is the right job. This is going to be a good fit for me and my family. And so, you know, I, I, at the end of the day could sit here and be like, I know I did what was best. And, you know, people probably think I'm crazy for it, but like, this is a really, if I'm ever going to do this, like this was the time to do it for me. And um, for my family and for my career and all that. So I really, that's why I took a week to decide because I was just, you know, it's a big decision and it's, you know, I'm leaving somewhere, you know, somewhere you've been for, I've been at Alabama. I've lived in Tuscaloosa for 17 years of my life, you know, like just as much as I've lived in Pennsylvania. So like I have never lived anywhere else besides Chambersburg, Pennsylvania and Tuscaloosa or Alabama. So it was a huge decision for me. And so I had to take my time and, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to get too many opinions about what I should do because I think that clouds like your judgment sometimes, but, um, you know, like praying, talking to Quinn, talking to my family and then talking to Murph was the, the four things that I kind of leaned on through the process. And what was it about Memphis that made you decide to take, you know, a head coaching gig? Cause I'm sure there's been others, uh, throughout your time there. What was it about Memphis that caught your eye? Yeah, um, well, they gave me an opportunity. Like they actually offered me the job. <laughs> um, so I've actually, I've had lots of opportunities and interviews, but nobody's really offered me a job. Um, there's been one other school in play that's done that and it wasn't good timing for me, but um, you know, they gave me an opportunity. Uh, I felt like the administration there really cared about me as a person. And like, if I'm going to make a move, like I want to feel like I'm going into an environment where 
we're all on the same team working for the same kind of objective and goals. And I feel like I'm going to be supported and they're going to care about me and my family as people. Um, and I felt that there. And, and most of the head coaches at Memphis are fairly new. Um, so one thing I met the baseball coach Carrick on my interview and like we hit it off and I was like, I can, I could work with this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what I thought to myself. Like I can work with this person, you know? And, and I, and I thought about that as I was meeting other people, like, I think I could work with this person. We would work well together. Like, you know, I like what you're saying. And I think, you know, with any job, there's going to be stuff that you have to overcome and you have to work through or whatever. But um, I think that the athletic department with Laird and Lauren, like leading this department, I think that we're going to be going in a great direction. And, um, you know, they want every sport to be great at Memphis, not just football and basketball, which obviously have been have been really well, have done really well for them in the past few years. Um, they want all their sports to do well. So that was important, too. Um, and then, you know, the last piece that kind of like sealed the deal for me was. I said, we needed a director of ops or I wasn't doing this. And they gave me a director of ops. So we'll hire for that in the summer. So it was just, you know, that was, that's a big piece, which nobody really realizes how much office work you have to do as a coach. So I needed that piece because it's a lot of extra, just time, timely tasks that can be taken off my plate so that I can focus on the team or the pitchers or recruiting or whatever else I need to be uh, doing at that time. And you mentioned uh, Quentin Q and Juju. How, what's it been like for you, Julian, your your son? What's it been like in your transition to moving to Memphis? Because uh, you you are a, a mother as well and, and yeah. balancing a lot. And like you said, I know that you don't sleep because spoke. You know, Q Q tells tells us like, <laughs> chat as well. Uh, what's that that been like? Um, kind of taking the family uh, out of Tuscaloosa and, and heading to Memphis. Yeah, we, um, so my house is still trying to sell here in Tuscaloosa. So Quinn and Julian have stayed in Tuscaloosa and I've kind of been going back and forth. So um, Memphis has put me up at a spot throughout this transition until my house, until my house sells. So I've been going back and forth and it's been a lot of juggling, but obviously like I couldn't do this without Quinn. Um, and we, we do have like my best friend lives in Tuscaloosa. We have a sitter that still helps us. So as far as Julian's concerned, like all my help is still here helping. Um, but Quinn kind of kind of has stepped up and taken over like the, you know, day to day kind of caretaker responsibilities because I'm not here sometimes during the week and I can only come back for a couple of days. So, um, you know, and but in that transition, it's given me some time to figure out where we need to live over at Memphis. Um, I've really gotten to look in a lot of different neighborhoods and kind of taking my time through the process, which if I were to put my house on the market in September, you know, right away, I wouldn't have had that time to kind of look and we would have been like rushing um, to make a decision. So, you know, I'm just going to trust in God, you know, how to plan in this the whole time. And he just wanted me to make sure we got that right house in Memphis. And, you know, maybe I needed this transition time also for, me to get to know the team and get the staff in order and figure, get my hands around being a head coach. And I don't feel as guilty when I'm over there. Cause like I can work and I don't have to worry about, Oh, I need to get home for Julian or whatever. You know, I can just FaceTime when I'm in the office and, you know, go back and forth. So um, it's been a transition. It hasn't been easy. You know, there's weeks that I'm like, what, the, what am I doing? Like I miss my kid. I miss my family. And then, you know, there's, yeah, I just try to remind myself, like, I can do hard things and this is temporary. This isn't forever. So I can do hard things for a small amount of, you know, I can do this. It's for a small amount of time. It's not forever. And Julian will never remember that, you know, like I wasn't here for a week, like a couple, you know, like a week at a time or whatever, because he just, he just won't, we're just two. So he's not going to remember that. Um, but, you know, I think that it is really good for our team to see they did come over for a week and watch us play and i think just like at alabama i think it's important for like young females to see that you know women who are coaching or run a business or ceos or you know out there you know running things that have a family i think it's important for young females to see that because it just doesn't get publicized enough that you know, women with families and, you know, that are, that are in big time positions and they can still do that and have a family and balance everything is important for, you know, our young athletes to see. 
I think that's really important. And um, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, and that's really important. And it's incredible to see that women with families and children are able to do all the hard things, right? Like in your head coach of a, of a program. So um, it's so great to see that. And there are plenty of coaches across the country um, and you're you're one of them. So I also want to get into your staff. So obviously you've got DJ Sanders uh, and Tommy Santiago with you. What was that yeah. like hearing them? I know it was late in the season, but what was that like for you uh, picking them them up as to be a part of the staff? The staff? Yeah, uh, so DJ comes from the, the AU League, right? She played with Sydney and Haley McClenney have a lot to do with her getting with me because – I called them and I said, hey, I kind of want somebody that's in the pro league that's kind of closer to our athletes' ages and kind of more relatable. Like, they've seen her on TV. They know who she is. Um, I was like, so give me a couple names. And then DJ was the first one <clears throat> that they both gave me. And Sydney, Sydney was like, uh, DJ's one of my best friends here. We get along great. I think that y'all and we get along really well. Um, so I called uh, Chris Malvo at Tennessee because he coached, you know, DJ at ULL. And I was like, hey, give me your thoughts. Like, I need somebody, I want somebody that's going to do the hitting. And, um, you know, what do you, you know, how do you think she is at, as a coach? And he gave me his thoughts. He said, if I got a head coaching job, like, she'd be my first call. And he said all these great things about her. And I called Ricketts at Mississippi State because she was the volunteer there. And Ricketts said something similar. And she was like, I think you both will get along really well. And so, you know, I asked a lot of questions about her as a person because I think it's important that we surround ourselves with really good people that I can trust. And that I know we're going to, you know, if I ask them to do something like they're going to get it done. And that can also, you know, we can always get better as coaches, but, you know, are you going to make the right decisions when I'm not around? Um, you know, those are important things you have to think about as a head coach. So, um, you know, she kind of checked all the boxes there. And when we had our first phone call, we kind of like hit it off. And I was like really excited. And, you know, her, um, her boyfriend, her boyfriend lives in South Haven, which is 20 minutes away from Memphis, and her family is only two hours. So it kind of hit all the check the check boxes for her too. And you know, then we're giving her, you know, I'm like, you can have the offense, it's yours. Like I'll give my feedback, but I'm gonna let you kind of deal with it. And you know, my arm will just go around the circle for you. And you know, I'll be here to give you feedback and my opinion whenever you need it. And um, you know, and, and that's the benefit of me being like a hitting pitcher is that like I know hitting and you know I, I know what we need to be doing but I also know it's important for them to hear like one voice and for us to be so I'm just supporting in that role for her um so you know it, I was really excited about adding her and then Tommy just kind of happened um it was just I didn't you know he called me uh, I didn't um really know he was even looking but uh they were moving his uh his wife's family they live in Chattanooga, so they were kind of moving back closer. And, you know, like he brings a little bit more experience than DJ. Um, and he was at South Florida for a while. And, like, he's got to coach with Courtney and and, and uh, Lonnie at Florida State. So his pedigree and background was also really appealing. And then, like, his experience on top of it. So – and he knows the conference. So I thought it was a good good for me to have somebody that, like, knows this conference, knows the coaches, knows how it kind of operates – um, from that standpoint to kind of help me transition and kind of build as we go forward. Um, but they both are first and for, for foremost, like quality people, you know, um, Tommy's got, he's got a one-year-old, so he's got a family, you know, DJ's, you know, probably, you know, hopefully she'll get married in the next couple of years. So she'll be working towards that. And that was important too. Like I wanted, you know, I just want our kids to see that. I want our kids to see people with families and where, you know, we can work and be successful. And, you know, we can also have this other part of our lives that you guys get to be a part of. And I think it's important for both for both sides, like our kids and my, my team. So um, adding those pieces in there, I think, is just as important as the quality of being a great person. So we're trying to finish with this. I know you've been there through the fall. Uh, the team was 16 and 38 just a season ago. Um, you're kind of working through things and, and working that all out. But what was what's the general outlook that you're seeing from uh, the squad heading into 2023? And and what are your team goals for them? Uh, I know as a first year head coach, you're kind of just still assessing and kind of figuring out what kind of pieces you have. But what what are your goals heading into next season? Yeah, I think that um, this fall we really focus on trying to just get better, right? Learning how to play catch. 
um, getting a system with the hitting, getting a system with the practice, you know, weights looked a whole lot different this year because I'm a big proponent of the weight room. So I want us to be working hard there. And so me and the strength coach met and I said, you know, here's some things that, you know, I'd like us to do. And I'd like you to get on the call with Michelle Diltz at Alabama because me and her worked, me, her and our athletic trainer worked really close with the pitchers. And I had the pitchers on like a plan and, you know, they were doing X, Y, and Z. And so I want to kind of translate that to um, the rest of the team. And so he met, he called Michelle and like, we kind of started there, you know, cause I feel like that's like the foundation. And then we kind of talked about practice and the tempo of practice and being time on task. And we're trying to get these things done. And then we've also had to work a little piece of the culture of it. And, you know, what are, what are the staples or the foundation for this program? Like what, when we sit here and what is working, what is, what is weight room? What does it mean to work hard in the weight room for Memphis softball? What does that look like? You know, what does it look like to work hard in, in the academic space? Um, and kind of defining those. And we actually had somebody from Jansen Leadership, um, Julie, she came in and worked with us for a day. And we talked about the commitment continuum scale and defined some of those things. And I thought that was like a turning point for us in the fall. Um, because I think there was a lot of assumptions from the team about like, you know, I, they think that I'm thinking this thing and, and I never said that with my mouth and, you know, like they just, a lot of assumption there. So I was, you know, if, if, if I don't say it, I think I'm pretty honest for the most part. And so like, if I see that you're doing something and I don't like it, like I'm going to say that and we're going to have a conversation about it. And if I don't say anything, then I obviously don't have a problem about it. And I think that's one thing that like, Murph, like, you know, I've learned from her finale is like, Murph's been straightforward and he is straightforward kind of person. And, um, so and, and I, my mom is like this. So, I mean, I said first learned it from her, so, you know, like straightforward and, you know, sometimes that's a good thing and a bad thing. And it's because sometimes you don't, you know, sugarcoat things. So in that I've had to learn how to like address things, you know, and make sure that I'm, I'm communicating properly and it doesn't come off the different way than what I want it to. But um, I thought that was really important piece for us, that leadership piece where we were trying, we were talking about the culture and we're talking about, you know, how to interpret things for me and what does our commitment look like as athletes on this team? You know, like how committed are you really? So we've talked about that a lot this fall. Like, you know, after practice, I'll, I'll go around and say like on, on the commitment continuum, where do you think you felt today? Were you committed? Were you resistant? Were you compelled? And so we try to talk about those things a lot because I think it's important for them to realize like, oh, I wasn't as, you know, I thought I was working or I thought I was really committed today, but in actuality, I was kind of resistant. You know, I didn't, I, I, I kind of got in my head a little too much. And then therefore I stopped listening to what the coaches were telling me and then it became resistant. So <clears throat> we talk about those things on the daily because I think it's important for us to do that. Um, also, just them and us trying to get to know them. So different team activities. Um, we do DJ implement, like brought this idea to the table, which was um, gate. I think they do it at Florida state, but give everything to your teammates every day. And so we have a question and we huddle up in a circle after practice. And we have a question, just like one question was like, if you could go to dinner with three people, whoever dead or alive, who would they be? And why, you know, like just random questions uh, of, you know, like, Tell me what you need. What does support look like for you? You know, like, what does that look like? So that's just like a get to know me kind of stuff that it helps us as coaches to hear what does support look like? Or we learn a little bit about them that maybe they wouldn't talk about if we were just in a practice setting all the time. Um, so those are kind of things. That's, those are my kind of goals through the fall was, you know, kind of building, you know, like this culture and like figuring out what kind of terms and terminology we want to use. And then getting them to buy into a process. Like, we didn't keep score except for when we went to Ole Miss because I refused to turn the scoreboard on because I didn't want them getting caught up in, oh, oh, it's 7 nothing. Like, we're good. You know, like, no, like, we're this, this inning, we need to win this inning. We need to win this at bat. Like, how are we going to do that? Like, I don't care what we did last inning. It's about this inning. So, really trying to change their mindset of getting caught up in, oh, we got seven runs, we're good, or, oh, man, we're down, like, blah, blah, blah. It didn't matter because there was no scoreboard. Um, you know, we didn't keep stats for that same reason too, because I didn't want them getting caught up in that. Like I kept stats on our own as coaches, but as far as them knowing anything, they don't, 
they didn't, they didn't keep up with any of that stuff. So, um, you know, moving into the spring will be something similar. And we're going to talk about success, what that looks like. Cause you know, I, you know, nobody has a magic wand. <laughs> you know, I, I wish I could sit here and say like, heck yeah, we're going to go, we're going to go undefeated and we're going to sweep the conference. But realistically like that isn't probably going to happen. So what does success look for us? Like look like for us and, you know, compared to last year or whatever, like what does it look like for us moving forward? So this first year in the spring, what is success? And I think like the first big thing for us is competing for seven innings in every game, right? Like try, we're, we're going to compete for seven innings. Um, we're not going to get caught up in having one bad inning and that trickles into three more bad innings and then the game's over in five innings. We're not doing that. We're going to learn how to compete every inning and let's compete for seven innings. That would be the first thing of success that I would feel like, yes, if we did that all year, I'd be really happy. Um, with where we were going, like we're competing every inning, we're right there with people, you know, we're, we're giving our best effort, maybe we're just lacking a few things talent wise, or maybe a few things didn't go our way, whatever, but we're competing. And I think that's important. And then also the culture piece of us learning how to be great teammates, and knowing our role and fulfilling that role, because it's really hard in softball, because only nine can play. And so what does my role look like and how can I contribute to this team, even though I might not start in the game every time? Um, and I think that we've talked a little bit about that in the fall, but I'm going to talk more about that moving into the spring because that's when it gets hard for everybody. Like, oh, man, I started every game last year and now maybe your role looks a little bit different because I'm, I'm different than the previous coach. And maybe I think that you're better suited here, whatever the case may be. So. Um, kind of trusting in that. And then I'm trying to get a few of our seniors to kind of step more into an accountability leadership role. So I've been working um, with them a little bit about how we can better do that. Like what, what you need to do as a leader to, to make that happen and, and investing in your teammates is the first part of that. Um, so we've been talking about that. I think your dad, Hi, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> I think your dad has it. <laughs> No, <laughs> yeah, he's like, hey, mom. Uh, yeah, I think what it, I love that you say about like compelling. I think that's such a strong, like, interesting word um, for you to use to assess. You know, you know, how did you show up today? I love that. Um, yeah. But to end on this, is anything that you're doing there at Memphis that um, that people need to know about? I think we talked briefly um, about um, a women's foundation that you were uh, raising funds for. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, we have, I thought this was, and this is one thing on my interview that I thought was really cool that they were doing at Memphis and they call it the 901 Women's Foundation Fund. And it's, the, the goal is to get business women in Memphis or people who want to support women's athletics to join this foundation. And the money that is raised in it goes to projects for the women's sports only. So um, we had like, we had, the first meeting we had was at softball. So got to meet um, a former golf coach who actually raised the money to build the building that's over there right now. So she talked about booster club, booster clubbing and making connections and, and um, how to deal with being a woman in a male dominated field. And, you know, most of your ADs and your administrative people are males. So like, how do you navigate through that? And um, how do you talk and how you present and things like, like things that she did. So it was really it was great. I was taking all kinds of notes, asking questions like I, I need to know this kind of stuff. Um, so and we've had like a, we've had a FedEx event where FedEx came in and talked about us getting our female athletes into FedEx and into that company and um, their internships and what they look for and how they want to keep that line of and they want Memphis athletic student athletes. So that's, I think, and they want female athletes. So I think that's even more important. So um, every month they try to do something different with the foundation, but the goal is to go out and try to get people to donate to this fund to support our women's sports at Memphis. So, um, you know, I think it's been, I think that's a really cool thing. Um, Lauren and Christina are like the two head, head people that have been leading this. And, you know, Lauren's my boss, which is even better. So, like, my boss is at the forefront of all this. So, um, you know, I've been trying to get out as much as I can to help, but um, definitely been attending all the, all the 
you know, promotional things that they have been doing. And I think it's going to be like a great, great thing for the women at Memphis. So head on over, check on the 901 Women's Foundation uh, yep. out of Memphis. Uh, Stephanie um, Brinkle Protos. Steph, thank you so much um, for joining us. I feel like yeah. I could talk to you for hours and hours. We didn't even yeah. get into like <laughs> you and back in the playing days, but I, I love it. Give my best to Quentin and, and Julian and um, best of luck this season. Can't wait to see uh, the Memphis Tigers and see what you do there. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Memphis head coach, first-year head coach, Stephanie Embrakel-Prothro. Excited to see what she does there with this new team and stepping into a head coaching role because being an assistant and being a head coach are two different things. Good thing is she's done it before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know when she first took that job and I spoke with her, it was a lot all at once, but she sounded thrilled to be doing it. And your interview obviously just reinforced that and just kind of getting her bearings more. She's been there really excited for what she can do there. Obviously I'm a living in the state of Tennessee. It's quite a ways away from me. I mean, I'm in Knoxville seasons. I have to drive there. So I won't be hop, skipping a jump to games, but definitely excited to kind of see that team play and see what she can do with that program. Cause uh, there's a lot of potential there and I think she's going to be great at it. And obviously she's, you know, got the pitching forte, but she's built a great staff. Um, and, uh, I just think it's, it's a great opportunity for her. And like you said, she's got some head coaching experience already. Um, and obviously all that time in Bama. So it's just, and she's got so many resources to tap into. So really excited for her and, and the opportunity for her family too. And they will be flying out West to San Diego State for the first weekend. So hopefully we'll be able to catch some of those games, uh, in between that and the Mark Campbell classic in Irvine out in California with with Oklahoma and Duke and, and Washington, but should be able to head down to San Diego and catch some of those games. There's a, there's a ton of uh, teams coming there as well. Yeah, that's a tough, tough gig to have to go to San Diego and cover games. <laughs> I love it there. That's good. I mean, I, there's no question why those teams go there. If I was a coach, I'd be like, focus on that flight out to San Diego right now. We'll take that tournament. Um, so smart, smart move. I'm sure that was built in her schedule ahead of time, but if it wasn't and she pulled that off, man, that's a, that she's already got a win on her docket right there. Absolutely. Well, that's it that uh, this week for the D1 softball podcast. Re, any final thoughts? Yeah, just quickly. I just want to, I mean, any boarding world, uh, just want to Mike Leach, the football coach at Mississippi state passed away, um, had a, a Heart issue that came up suddenly, uh, just really sad day for sports all in general um, and just a sad week. But, but he was a just I got to cover him at the Pac-12 and the SEC, and it, you know, just not as a beat writer for his team, but just, you know, in same press conferences. Just a really, really interesting man. Um, super unique character and just his influence on college football was was amazing. But just coaching in general. I mean, he was a big fan of softball. Throughout the first pitch a few times at Mississippi State was just always a guy that, you know, he literally talked to everyone and anyone from all walks of life and was just a constant quest to learn and thirst for learning. Very quirky and very funny. So just want to send my condolences to all the friends, family. And I know there's a lot of softball coaches even that know him just from his experiences at, uh, you know, Texas Tech and other schools and Washington State doesn't have softball. But I know uh, a lot of the Pac-12 coaches got a little dose of him when he was in that conference. So. Um, just condolences to his family and his friends and uh, the impact he had on college school. And if you just scroll through Twitter and see the tributes to him and, and read the stories and, and, you know, all American at Arizona, Brittany Lestraps, uh, she was basically his chief of staff at Mississippi state and just reading all of the kind words that they had to say about him. It, we did truly lose a, a legend, but what a legacy. You know, he left behind, and again, uh, our thoughts and, and, and yeah. are with Mississippi State and the entire athletic department and his family and his friends and, and everyone that knew him. Yeah, just uh, honestly, one of the funniest, you know, and just the thing I liked about Mike is he was real. Like, it wasn't any pretense, there was no faking. Like, you got what you got, and if it, you know, if he didn't agree with it, he was okay with that too. But he was a coach that was just in, could go off to have ever met. Like, a tangents were, were frequent. But they were always, I always like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, I just recommend, like you said, read the stories, look at the videos, marriage advice, candy advice, his pirate, his Geronimo fascination, 
uh, just a really, really interesting dude. And uh, he's going to be missed. And um, just that's the cool thing is it just see how much he's impacted so many people's lives. Hate to the, that it had to come to this way to learn it, but um, it's been pretty amazing to see how far and wide his reach goes. Yeah, and we had another round of Twitter spaces on Monday, and that just, you know, we'd actually set that up, you know, previous couple days beforehand. And I called Tyler before we went on space and I said, hey, Tyler, are you okay? You know, I know, you know there's reports happening. We don't know what's going on. But uh, just if you haven't had a listen to that, there's some incredible stories that he shared about Coach Leach and his time uh, being at Mississippi State. And at one point he did want to be a softball coach, is what he said. So that would, you know. Gosh, that would be great, but, you know, I think the football world. Yeah, he likes baseball, too. Yeah, baseball, softball, too. He was a big guy with that. He was uh, interesting, very interesting. I mean, that's a law school graduate, you know. He coached up at Cal Poly for a while. He's been, you know, he just just so, like I said, so unique and just such a quest for learning, not, not just sports. And I think that would be my one encouragement to everyone is just be open to everything because um, you're missing out on life if you're just so close-minded. And uh, he, I mean, he really is the persona. You can do that and be successful. You can do it the way you want as a coach and you don't have to do cookie cutter and you don't have to be in your office, hold up 24 hours a day and not make contact with anyone else. Um, So uh, (laughs) just, it it makes me about him. And I think that's the best tribute. Like just, you know, he made everyone smile. So uh, again, just condolences to his friends and his family and his wife, Sharon. Yeah. Rest in peace, uh, coach Mike Leach. And, uh, we'll, we'll see you on the other side. I'm sure. And can't, you know, like you said, he, you can't not smile just thinking about him. So that's it for the week. Head on over to the site, uh, d1softball.com. Let us know if we can do anything. Send us an email info at d1softball.com. And Tara Henry for Rhiannon Podkey. Thanks for joining us on the D1softball podcast. We will see you next week.